The end of all things is near. Warning of the end of the world is often met with skepticism. It's often dismissed as the ravings of a fanatical lunatic. We can imagine this person on the street corner, can't we? Or it's responded to as some chicken little-esque refrain of the sky is falling. This is true even of very real threats that we face as climate change hastens and dramatic weather events become far more common, as ecological disaster looms on our doorsteps, we hear scientists and experts announcing the end of all things is near. And yet we've heard this so often that most of us just push it to the back of our minds. We feel powerless to affect any change ourselves, and we see no possibility of changing the way that governments or corporations think and behave. So are, we are resigned, or we're just in denial. The warning that the end is near, if it's not actively ignored, is otherwise most often met with panicked fear. We have seen in countless films and television shows that scene where the news bulletin breaks that the world is ending and cars careen off the roads, smashing into fire hydrants and causing them to burst forth, crashing into buildings. We see the images of people breaking store windows and stealing whatever they can carry as if this will save them. Mania ensues. In March of last year, many of us felt as if we heard the news that the world is ending. And the response for many of us was to clean off grocery store shelves, to buy enough toilet paper to last at least until today. The words of Shakespeare appear as though they are true enough. The purpose of playing, whose end both at the first and now was and is, to hold as twere the mirror up to nature. Put more simply, art imitates life. And we see now that when real, believable news of the end of all things comes to us, we behave in a frenzy of every person for themselves. Strangely, this is not the reaction that Peter anticipates when he shares this news. Rather than thinking that he shares ill tidings, Peter believes he is sharing welcome news. The end of all things may indeed be welcome news to those who suffer greatly, who experience persecution in their society, and who long for relief, for some end to their suffering. This feeling is probably familiar to most of us. How many of us have sighed in recent months and said, I just want this lockdown to be over. I can't wait for the pandemic to end. I just want to see my family again. We long for relief that only an end can bring. The end which Peter speaks of is not the destruction of the world. He's not talking about death here. Rather, he's talking about new life. The word which he uses and we translate as end can also mean climax. Really, it's about the fulfillment, the culmination, the ultimate 
purpose of a thing being realized. That is what Peter is saying is near at hand. The end which Peter anticipates is not bitter, but it is sweet. It is heaven coming to earth. It's God's home being among his people. It is the end of some things. It is the end of death, of mourning, of crying and pain. The end of the order of things that continues to marginalize and harm so many, that continues to cause decay where life should flourish. It is the kind of ends that we remember as a nation today in Emancipation Day. The end of a thing which holds people in bondage. And with these kinds of ends come many new beginnings as creation itself bursts into the full and beautiful life that it was always intended to reveal. So if this end, if this end of all things is something that we're meant to desire, something that we actually long for deep in our souls and we anticipate, if it's not just something that we fear and when we're not fearing it, we ignore it, then the response Peter encourages us to is not nihilistic. It is not hedonistic. It is not materialistic. Rather, he encourages us towards simple actions of prayer, love, hospitality, and service. That in these things, we might find that we are prepared for the new ways of God's kingdom, which is coming to us. That, in fact, in our rehearsing these things today, we might find that in some ways, God's reign has already come on earth as it is in heaven. Peter is encouraging us towards a rehearsal of the end of all things, even now, while we eagerly anticipate it. It is these practices which Peter highlights because the things we do as we prepare for an end whatever that end may look like, they reveal what matters most to us. When we suffer, the things that we value become that much clearer to us. How many stories do you know during the pandemic of people near to you making major life changes? So many people have quit jobs, have changed industries, have sold houses, have moved to be closer to family, have prioritized the family who they could see and missed that much more the family and friends who they could not. For Peter, the things which we hope will have, the things which he hopes that we will value the most when faced not only with the reality of suffering, but the promised fulfillment of all things, are quite simple. Quite simply, he hopes that we will value first and foremost God and next God's people. He hopes that we will value things which are eternal. So if we value God and we value God's people first and foremost, then it's natural that we would be found in prayer. Prayer which cultivates our relationship with God, yes, but is also an act of love for the world which God has made and we pray on behalf of creation and for our brothers and sisters, so too we will expand ourselves more wholly for love of others. We will be hospitable to those who require our aid, and we will live and work as if we are the presence of Jesus, 
because it is out of love for him that we join in his work. And it is out of love for others that we would be no less than Christ himself in their midst. Now that's hard work. That's a tall order. Just be Jesus, right? And you might remember in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Peter told us that we have to be alert and fully sober to set our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. We said that it was hard work to set our hopes on Jesus. Well, not only is setting our hopes hard work, which needs our focused attention, but so too is praying. He uses a similar phrase, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Setting our hopes is hard work and praying can be hard work. Knowing the end is near, we are told to be alert and of sober mind so that we can pray. Our alertness, our sound mind, our attention to what is actually happening around us, all of these things, they aid our prayers, that we may better come to God with the concerns of our world, with the places where no sign of his kingdom can yet be seen, with the needs of his children, and then having prayed in earnest to our Father who loves us, we can pray him, praise him all the more fully as we see his continued provision for all creation, as we see how he is bringing about the reconciliation of all things and providing for all the needs of the people who he loves. But above even effective and thoughtful prayer, yes, above all, Peter writes, we must maintain constant love for one another. This was a unique feature of Christianity as it emerged in the time when this letter was written, that love was the chief of all virtues. Love had often been honored and held in great esteem, but it is the church which places love at the top of the list, remembering Jesus' teaching that love of God and love of neighbor are the two greatest commandments. And not just love of God and love of neighbor. Somewhere between these two things is the love which we must have for the church. The love which Peter tells his audience to have for one another. Yes, of course, we are each other's neighbors and so are called to love one another. But it's more than that. Because within each Christian, we may discern the likeness of Christ himself we may sense the presence of the Spirit. And so it is our deep love for God which encourages us to love one another. For we are each temples of the Spirit, bearing the very presence of God with us wherever we go. So it's somewhere between that love for God and love for neighbor that we find this love for the church. Each of those commandments compel us to love one another fully and well. Then, as the psalmist writes and as Peter quotes, love covers over a multitude of sin. And this great love allows us not only to forgive one another, but to prevail over the devil himself. Leo the Great, who was Bishop of Rome in the mid-fifth century, wrote this. He writes, nothing is stronger than the wiles against the wiles of the devil, dearly beloved, than the kindness mercy, and generosity of love, through which every sin is either avoided or conquered 
Against such things as the kindness, mercy, and generosity of love, there is no law. These things are never forbidden. These things cannot be sin. And if they endure sin, they do so able to forgive for the sake of that love itself. And in so doing, it conquers even the wiles of the devil, which would seek to see sins retained and that misery may endure. This truth that love covers over a multitude of sins was seen most clearly in the passion of Jesus. As on his cross, he died at the hands of sinners and he bore the sins of the world. And the devil schemed that death may yet conquer. But Christ was victorious. And in his great love for us, he offered forgiveness for all the sin which had led him to that place, all the sin which he then bore. And in that action of love, he began the end of all things. Because the work of death will soon finally be undone by the glory of life. And the web of sin will soon be untangled and unraveled by the goodness of his mercy. This love, which is above all, Peter commends to us not only as a feeling, not only as forgiveness, but as actions as well. If we genuinely love each other deeply, of course we'll offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now this hospitality, it isn't just having someone over for a cup of coffee and then they're on their way again. Or else what would be the cause of the grumbling? Rather, this kind of hospitality is the kind that may, in fact, be an inconvenience, or worse. In a time when Christians may have needed a place to hide or to stay as they fled some other place, Peter writes of deep love and hospitality. There are Christians still fleeing places looking for safety. Can we shelter them without grumbling? There are still Christians in our church family here at Knox who have needs which we could meet. Can we sacrifice for love of them without bemoaning our pocketbooks, our lost vacation, our decreased leisure time? It is the kind of hospitality which costs something, which is also the kind of hospitality which means something. And it is this kind of deep and radical hospitality which reveals Christ's love in us for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Hospitality was an understood virtue in the ancient world and in many places in the world still today, far less so in our culture. And with hospitality came certain commitments and certain expectations as well. Greek philosophers at this time understood and relayed to the people that they taught that guests which shared a table ought not harm their host or their fellow guests. They should not even speak ill of them. So to accept an offer of hospitality was a commitment to a certain kind of relationship as one who shares a table, who shares a home, who increasingly shares the important parts of our lives and who chooses to hold each other in honor and esteem. 
Today, later in our service, we will come to a place of deep hospitality set before us by Christ. We come to a table which Jesus sets before the church and the world and offers his very self as our sustenance. We come together as his guests. And we remember not only to honor our host, but to also take care of our fellow guests. It is for this reason that on Communion Sundays, our church encourages donations to our benevolent fund above what we might regularly give, that we might choose to continue to show deep compassion and hospitality to those in our community who have needs which we can meet, that this table would always be our reminder of the love to which we have been called because of the love which is shown here. Finally, Peter urges us on to faithful service to one another, noting that we each have gifts to give. Perhaps we are not in a place to offer hospitality. Maybe, as I was saying, that you thought to yourself how much it is to even ask that you share coffee with another person, let alone to sacrifice when you don't have enough for yourself. But beyond that, we are able to share what we do have, So Peter reminds each of us, all of us, that we should use whatever gifts we have in service of others, that all of us together are stewards of God's grace. Then he divides these gifts into two categories. He sort of says there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And whatever you do for the sake of the church, you should do with God in mind. If we speak, we ought to speak the very words of God. And if we serve, we ought to serve with the strength that only God provides. Once again, it seems that the summary is to be Jesus. Peter is urging us to be as Christ is, to be Jesus to each other. This is ultimately the point, that we would bring him and not ourselves glory The end of all things is near. The reconciliation of all things is at hand. Heaven is coming to earth. And in preparation for that day, we will rehearse today the new way that things will be. So that should Christ come tomorrow, we are familiar with the ways of his kingdom already. We will be thoughtful in prayer, loving each other deeply and quick to forgive. We will sacrifice for the sake of each other, providing for each one's needs. And we will speak and serve in the name of God so that he may be glorified. When we do these things, we will anticipate with joy that day which is coming soon, when we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads and we will forever be with our God. Indeed, to him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we want to long for the end of all the things that cause suffering and pain in the world and to eagerly anticipate the new things that will spring forth in your kingdom. And not all of us are there, at least not all the time. 
And so we first pray that your spirit would inspire us, that when we hear the end of all things is near, we would joyfully anticipate the better world which your kingdom will usher in, the kingdom of justice and peace, mercy and love, which, is, which ought to be known by all people, the world that we were made for. And yet, God, some of us do anticipate that kingdom, but we struggle to rehearse its actions of love and mercy today. In our day-to-day -day lives, we can't always see how you're calling us to make your will known on earth as it is in heaven, to join in the work of your spirit wherever it may move us. And so we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to the work that you are doing even now, and that each time we see a glimpse of your kingdom, we might joyfully say to ourselves that the end of all things is near, the end of death and mourning and crying and pain, that the old order of things should pass away and we will joyfully join in with your work wherever we see it. Cause us to live in such deep love for each other, that love for you and love for neighbor might come together in the church and that your name might be honored and glorified in all that we do. We pray this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. We believe God's spirit speaks through his word. And so we have a couple of reflection questions for your prayer, maybe for you in the sanctuary, your quiet conversations with those who you're with, for you at home, your loud and boisterous argument with those who you're sharing a couch with. So the first question is, how are you already being the words and actions of Jesus to your brothers and sisters in the church. I think it's good to recognize those things first. And then secondly, a little bit more of a challenge. What way of God's kingdom are you being invited in a fresh way to rehearse today as we wait for the fulfillment of all things? So we'll give you a couple of minutes to ponder, to reflect, to pray, and then we'll draw to the table together after that.